Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Shall we pray as we stand? Father God, our desire is that we might live for you and speak for you. And we pray that you would be encouraging us to keep doing that. And we pray that you would encourage us to keep reading your word to assure us of the truth of your gospel and to help us to grow to understand it more. And we pray now that as we study Luke 1, that you would help us to see how sure your word is and that we would have great confidence uh, both in that and the truth then of your gospel. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you sit, please take up your Bibles again and turn back to Luke chapter 1. Two of my favourite hymns were written by Bob Coughlin, based on Puritan prayers, prayers that some of the Puritans had written. The first one is, let your kingdom come. And this is how it begins. It goes, your glorious cause, O God, engages our hearts. May Jesus Christ be known wherever we are. We ask not for ourselves, but for your renown. The cross has saved us, so we pray your kingdom come. That's a song really, which is a a prayer that evangelism would be right at the heart of who I am and what I do. That I would be engaged in God's glorious cause in this world. The second song that I like is, O Great God of Highest Heaven. This is how it starts. O Great God of Highest Heaven. Occupy my lowly heart, own it all and reign supreme, conquer every rebel power. Let no vice or sin remain that resists your holy war. You have loved and purchased me, make me yours forevermore. If this first song is a cry and a prayer that God's cause, the gospel would be my cause and what I am about, the second one is asking that God would be sovereign over every part of my life. A cry that I would become more Christ-like. That I would be more and more submitting myself to God's will and purpose in the world. You could say that together they express really what's at the heart of being a Christian in many ways. That we would be placing Jesus as Lord over our lives more and more. And that we would be inviting other people to have Jesus as their Lord as well. In all of that, the fact that Jesus is Lord is revealed to us in the gospel. We see that Jesus is Lord in the resurrection, in his death and in his resurrection. And that Jesus is Lord then changes us. Now, in a recent panel show in Australia, set in the, in the Opera House, the panel were asked what they, what they considered the most dangerous idea in the world to be. An idea which had the, the, the possibility of changing the world for good. Now Peter Hitchens, the Mail and Sunday columnist, answered in this way. 
He said, the most dangerous idea in human history and philosophy remains the belief that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and rose from the dead, and that is the most dangerous idea you will ever encounter. That Jesus is Lord is a dangerous idea, is what he was saying. Now, the the host said to Peter, you you can't leave it there. Explain what you mean. Why is this such a dangerous idea? And Peter continued, because it alters the whole of our human behavior and all our responsibilities. It turns the universe from a meaningless chaos into a designed place in which there is justice and there is hope. And therefore, we all have a duty to discover the nature of that justice and work towards that hope. It alters us all. If we reject it, it alters us as well. It's an incredibly dangerous idea. And it's why so many people turn against it. The gospel of Jesus Christ is so important. It's a dangerous idea. The gospel is not something which we can be indifferent about. And here's the thing though. If we're going to shape our whole life around this gospel, then you want to be sure of it, don't you? If you're going to say to other people, you should change your life because of this gospel, then you want to be sure about that. You see, because that's what we do in evangelism. We say to people, this gospel contains reality. Reality which shapes the whole of the world and which is important for you and you need to accept it. If we're going to say that to people, then we'd want to be sure about the truth of it. You see, if we're going to make Jesus Lord in our own lives, we want to be sure of the gospel, the truth of this. You see, because the converse is also true. You see, because if we are not sure, then we're not really going to tell people of this gospel, are we? If we are not sure whether it's true, when we face hard decisions and the gospel telling us things which we don't necessarily like and things which we don't want to do, then we're not going to do them. We'll be half-hearted in our faith. I guess that many, or there'll be some people here this morning who might be thinking, why should I change my life because of this man, Jesus? Now, why should I upset the apple cart of my life and make Jesus Christ the plumb line of my life now? Why should I do that? You see, it's a great question, isn't it? If you're going to do that, you want to have certainty about whether that's the good thing and the right thing to do. You want to know that this Jesus Christ was true and what he says is true and that it is worth submitting your life to him as Lord. You need to be sure of the gospel. And that's why Luke is going to be so important to us this term. You see, Luke, it says that he writes his gospel so that this man, Theophilus, might have certainty about the things he had been taught. And you see that in verse 4. It seemed good to me also to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Luke wrote so that Theophilus might have certainty. Now, we don't know who Theophilus was, and it doesn't really matter. The purpose is still the same for us. The purpose for Theophilus and for other readers was that they were to gain certainty through this gospel. 
And it's the same for us today. Luke's gospel should give us certainty. If we're going to shape our whole life around the gospel, we want to have certainty. As this gospel goes forward, we'll see that it proclaims Jesus is Lord, and we want to know that for certain. If we're going to tell other people the gospel, we need certainty. If we're going to encourage each other here to keep going and following Jesus, we want to have certainty. And certainty is what Luke wants to give to Theophilus and to us. Certainty about what has been taught. Now as you read the gospel, that will become immediately clear what was taught. It was what was taught about Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection. It's a gospel about Jesus. About who Jesus is. It will tell us who we are like. It will tell us what Jesus offers to all people. And what it looks like to follow Jesus. About how Jesus fulfills the plans and purposes of God. Now it's interesting that the things in verse 4 are the things which are spoken about in verse 1 as having been fulfilled. Did you notice that in verse 1? Others have taken the time to write an account of the things that have been fulfilled. It points us to the fact that Jesus it comes with a history. He comes to fulfill what was written about him in the Old Testament. He comes to fulfill God's plans and purposes. And Luke wants us to have certainty about those things. So important as we make Jesus Lord over our life. And as we help others to come to see that Jesus is Lord. That's what Luke wants his book to do for us. But here's a question for you. Why should you trust Luke? Why should we have confidence in this part of the Bible to give us certainty? Why should I read Luke's gospel and trust it? And Luke's going to show us that in the first four verses here this morning. You could say the aim in these first four verses for Luke was that we might have confidence to read his account because it's based on reliable source material carefully investigated and compiled by Luke to give you certainty. Have confidence to read Luke's account because it's based on reliable source material carefully investigated and compiled by Luke to give you certainty. And so firstly, have confidence to read Luke's account because it's based on reliable source material. We see this in verse 1 and 2 where Luke speaks of those who were before him. People drew up accounts of things fulfilled, verse 1. That is, people had spoken of the life of Jesus, of his death and resurrection. And as you read into Luke's second volume, Acts, you'll see that they also spoke of the expansion of Christianity out from Jerusalem. Whether these were written accounts or oral accounts, we don't really know. I think it was probably both. And people knew of these accounts. You see, the people, they'd been passed on to people. That's what verse 1 says. They were handed down to us. That is, the message wasn't kept to a select few people. They were spread around. It was passed around, this message. And in Luke 2, sorry, in verse 2, Luke describes those who passed it around. You see, just as they were handed down to us, by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Those who compiled these accounts were eyewitnesses, people who had observed the events with their own eyes. 
And I think as you read through Luke, you see some of who those eyewitnesses must have been. From Luke 1.5, we see Zechariah. And we read of his experience in the temple. He must have passed on his recollections. And Mary must have reported what the angel said to her when he appeared. And then we read in chapter 2 of the, the angels who saw this great vision of the angels and went to see the baby. And then they went round telling people what they had seen. Surely the people who had observed the ministry of John the Baptist as he went preaching. Or they had seen the man lowered through the roof. Or they had seen the sinful woman wetting Jesus' feet with her tears and drying them with her hair and pouring perfume on them and kissing them. Or those who had heard Jesus' teaching, his parables, who had heard him tell the parable of the prodigal son. Or those who saw Jesus stop in front of that sycamore tree and look up and speak to Zacchaeus who was up there. Those who had witnessed his trial, who heard the crowds crying, crucify And those who watched as he hung on the cross. You see as we read these accounts. There must have been a multiplicity of people who had seen things. Witnesses who passed on their testimony. You see these are not eyewitness accounts observed by just one person. In which case we might challenge them. You see these are Uh, the accounts of many eyewitnesses, many people who observed the events. And those many eyewitnesses must have built up a very convincing picture of what happened. And I wonder, can you see how very different it is to what people often say about the gospel stories? Now, have you heard people say that the passing on of these stories must have been a bit like Chinese whispers? And we all know when you have to play Chinese whispers, the story at the end is never the same as at the beginning. But just think about uh, Chinese whispers. Maybe you need to think back to sitting in a, a circle in a hall somewhere um, and how that happened. And then the, the leader whispers the message to the first person. He only whispers it, and he only whispers it once and only to one person. That message you then have to whisper to one other person. That other person can turn back to say, what did you say? Did I, did I hear you right? What, was, what were you saying there? No, they're only allowed to listen to it once. And then they can whisper it to another person. You see, the whole point of the, the game is that the story will be distorted. How very different that is to what we are being presented with here, where there are many eyewitnesses who told the story many times to many different people. People who were committed to passing on the information, to explaining and proclaiming the significance of the things that had happened. People who were able to be questioned, who people could say, did I hear right what you were saying there? And when maybe they got something wrong, other people would be around to say, oh, no, no, that, that wasn't, remember. You see, very different to Chinese whispers. People who claim that the passing on of the Bible was a bit like Chinese whispers make unwarranted assumptions. To say that we don't really know who first started it and we've got no access to that. It's just, it's just a, a, that process of one person telling another. As one writer kind of says, you have to believe that. You have to believe that the disciples whispered it to one person and then they disappeared into heaven, never to be seen again. It's just not the case. 
You see, there were many people saying the story of what happened in those days. You see, so have confidence to read Luke's gospel because it's based on reliable source material. Now, so far, Luke's been talking about those people who were before him. And then in verses three and four, he turns to his own account. And what we could say is that he is saying, have confidence to read my account because it's based on my careful investigation. Have confidence to read my account because it's based on careful investigation. You see, Luke hasn't just cut and pasted a few stories together and tried to get his manuscript as quickly as possible to the printers. He's not just written a quick blog post about something he heard down the pub and thought was quite interesting. He's not an unethical journalist just trying to get out a sensational story as quickly as possible. Look at how he describes his process in writing this gospel. You see verse four, he says he has, verse three, sorry, he has carefully investigated. He has spoken to eyewitnesses. He has read their accounts. He has spoken to those who passed on the information He's done so critically, asking himself, is this true? Maybe he spoke to Mary and listened to her account. Maybe he spoke to Peter and John. He certainly knew the the Apostle Paul. And there must have been lots of other people that he has carefully investigated. Spent time interviewing them. Asking them questions. Recording the information which he's heard. Comparing the accounts to each other. Being critical about them. Being careful about his investigation. Luke wasn't cavalier in his approach to writing his gospel. And the gospel bears that out. When you read it, it, you can see here is someone who's been very careful. They have a knowledge of Israel, of their customs and geography. Records towns and places by name. It shows where the sheep were kept and where sycamore trees grew. It has the right proportion of different kinds of names. And so we know which are the most popular names in Israel at that time. And in Luke's gospel, you see that the most popular names that are used through the gospel are the same names. As Dr. Peter Williams states, it's impossible to imagine how someone could get right all the local information he did unless they spent a lot of time investigating. You see, Luke carefully investigated and then we are told that he carefully investigated everything and he was comprehensive in his investigations and then you see that as, as you read the gospel maybe to help you see the comprehensive nature of Luke's investigation consider this quote from one writer in the introduction to Luke He says, one way to appreciate the impact of Luke's gospel as hard on Christianity is try to envision what things would be like without it. So if we didn't have Luke's gospel, what would things be like? Can you imagine Christmas without shepherds or a baby in a manger? Think of the favorite Bible stories that we would lose. Zacchaeus, the prodigal son, the good Samaritan, all would be gone forever. He also says, can you envisage uh, the liturgy without any Magnificat, glorious Bene- uh, Gloria Benedictus or Nunc Diminutus? My Latin's not very good. Uh, I thought at that point maybe we could um, not envisage those things. But what he's speaking of is, is of Mary's song would be gone. 
of Zechariah's song of praise, of Simeon's declaration in the temple when he sees the baby, all would be gone. Luke is very careful in his investigation and he has investigated everything. Luke has carefully investigated everything and he did that, he says, from the beginning. That is, he's looked right from the beginning of the Jesus history. He begins where it all started. And that's immediately obvious as you start to read into Luke and the first three chapters are all about the foretelling of the birth and then the birth of John and Jesus and some of their early life. Again, it highlights the comprehensive of, John's, of, of Luke's investigation. And Luke's not saying that somehow the other accounts were deficient, rather that he could add something through his writing. Maybe because the other eyewitnesses weren't quite as comprehensive, they hadn't got so many things together. You see, he has covered from the pre-birth right through to the resurrection. Indeed, as you look into the second volume that Luke wrote, at the Acts of the Apostles, we see he wrote right through the early expansion of Christianity in the early church. He has investigated everything from the beginning and he has compiled that for us. Compiles the plans and purposes of God and how Jesus Christ fulfills them all. You see, Luke has taken all those events and stories and compiled them in this book. And he has done that in a way to communicate his message. The message of Jesus Christ, the true message of the Jesus of history. He's done that as all historians do. He's strung the eyewitness together accounts to retell the story so that we might understand. Just like any historian. I've been reading the account recently of Operation Mincemeat in the Second World War. And it was the operation where the Allies tried to deceive the Germans into thinking they were going to invade a different part than they actually were. And the Allies did that by um, placing documents on a dead body and then floating uh, the body into the Spanish shore so that the Germans would find it. Now the, the writer has uh, looked at all the, uh, the uh, documents surrounding that and he has put together his account. And he's put together the account so that I can understand the story. That's what Luke's done. He's put together the account so that we can understand the story. And he's done that carefully done that so that we can have confidence in the things that have been taught about Jesus Christ. You see, Luke wants us to have confidence to read this account because it's based on reliable source material, carefully investigated and compiled to give you certainty. You see, this is what Christianity is based on, on the accounts of Jesus, reliable accounts you know, sometimes we can think that Christianity is not based on history. You know, that sometimes I believe things at the expense of history. You know, as if there's a, maybe a real Jesus who existed, but I can't know anything what he's like. But I've got these accounts from the early church maybe, and so I can have a Jesus who I believe in. But that's not what's being said here. Luke is saying he is going to present to us the historical Jesus, the Jesus who existed in history, who said and did these things so that we can have faith in him. It's the Jesus of the eyewitnesses. The eyewitnesses that Luke spoke to and read about and investigated so that we can believe in the Jesus who is real. That we believe in the man who lived and died for us. 
And that is who Luke presents for us. You see, I hope that you're excited to read Luke's gospel this term and to study it both here on Sundays and then in your small groups and to read it at home. Because this account is there to give us confidence, to give us certainty in the things that we've been taught about Christ. You know, this reading scheme would be really helpful for you to, to use to read through the gospel and give you passages to read over the 30 days. And maybe as you read, you could ask yourself, does Luke writing seem to be made up? Or is it careful history about the man, Jesus Christ? You see, it's important for us to do this because Peter Hitchens was right. This is a dangerous idea. That Jesus is Lord. And we want to be sure of that. And Luke shows us that we can be sure. That we can have certainty about the Lord Jesus. That what he did and what he said is true. And we can commit our lives to him. That we can give him everything of ourselves. That we can follow him in all things. Because it is true. Luke will give us confidence to follow this dangerous idea, this dangerous person, the Lord Jesus, so that we're not deceiving ourselves or other people because we are presenting them with the truth. And Luke's gospel will assure us of that truth. So have confidence to read it. Well, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have preserved this account for us so that we might know with certainty the truth about the Lord Jesus. And we pray that this term, as we study this book of Luke, that you would give us more and more certainty about the truth of the gospel. That we would be those who are committing ourselves to the Lord Jesus, to following him in every way. We would be those who are sharing the good news of this gospel because we are so convinced of its truth. And that, Father, we would find great joy in doing that. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.